Hey, everybody. It's the Drive to School podcast. I am Pastor Goodman, your host, and my good friend, pra- Pastor Brademeyer, is back. How you doing? You know, we're doing good. We're starting to think about spring up here. It's kind of strange because we have a bunch of snow, but got to get the garden stuff ordered and planned. So, you know, once it's light past 4.30 p.m., it's time to just look forward. I, I hear you. Um, so, yeah, let's let's go. Uh, we do philosophy. Um, and, and so this might be a, a good way to, to sort of talk about one of the questions that, that we end up talking about theologically a lot. And we're using all the big words, but it's a simple, simple question. It, it's who are you? Who am I? And theologically, we, we tend to sort of default to a baptismal identity. Um, we would say I'm baptized, but that that doesn't necessarily answer the question in a way that's going to help in public school, though, um, in, in, in a way that it doesn't make it not true. But like, what does that mean? Uh, so so how do you start to think about this? Who am I? Well, you know, I, I guess I want to push back on you a little bit. I do think that, that being baptized does help at school. It does actually give you an identity. You know, and we've talked right. about before that that reality is something we can form ourselves to to find who we really are instead of something we insert ourselves into and define by our own, you know, works and parameters and this sort of thing. And, and this is the default, right? I mean, we all want to kind of shape the world according to our own whims and desires. And that's usually what we default to, you know, whether we're adults or we're, you know, 15 and we're just starting to ask some of these questions or maybe younger, I don't know, maybe you're more mature than I was. But um, at some point, we have to ask, who am I? How do I fit into the world? And for us Christians, of course, we find that answer through Christ, through our baptism, through who he has made us and declared us to be, right? right. Um, and then we start to ask the, you know, the specifics, like, what should I do for a living? And, uh, you know, should I get married and have a family and this kind of stuff? It all gets filtered through Jesus and what he says about us. But that's not the way that we are taught to think about this in our schools, um, in college, on TV. This is not the kind of way that we're told to approach it. Instead, yeah. Um, I, this is a big word. This is a, a you know a ten dollar word. You might learn a spelling beyond this word, but this is a, the way we're taught to do this is all through something called existentialism. And most yeah. people don't know that that's what they're doing when they approach it. Um, but our talking points come straight out of this. And existentialism, just to kind of give people an idea of what we're talking about, comes about you know nineteenth century, um, early nineteenth century. There was a guy named Soren Kierkegaard who was a Danish Lutheran actually. And another guy named Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a, a very grumpy German guy. But these guys kind of pioneered this field. And it really focuses on the question of who am I and how do I do that? And they also are, are responding to something called nihilism, where there's just nothing matters. There's no point to anything. You know, you get the Industrial Revolution. People are working in factories. Their life sucks. You know, they're not out in nature. They're not, like, dealing with their neighbors. They're just sludging away on the assembly line or whatever. And so people start asking all these questions like, who am I? Um, what is the point of all of this? Uh, why am I so miserable? You know, that's that's a, that's one we have today, too. I mean, all this stuff, the anxiety, the, the weirdness that comes with modern society and the problems that it brings. Existentialism comes out of that type of environment and tries to answer that. And unfortunately, I think that it misses the mark because it's so incredibly selfish. Right. And existentialism starts with me. Right. That's its fundamental philosophical assumption is that I start with myself. I'm the most real thing. Everything gets filtered through me. It's all about me, how I see reality, who I want to be. And then they emphasize, you know, a, a freedom. Right. That's another big theme there. So where you see this stuff is like when you're told, oh, you know, um, you just have to go out and make your own way in the world. What is your truth? Um, what do you want to do? How do you want to live your life? What's real to you? What's important to you? These are all questions that are asked out of this framework. And uh, again, most people don't even realize they're doing this. You know, if you, you spend any time looking at like self-help stuff on the internet, like uh, one of my parishioners here is really into the Jocko podcast. 
and he's an ex Navy SEAL and, and he does a lot of leadership and like, you know, self-development stuff. And so I listened to a few episodes and he's got some good advice, but the whole thing is so out of this worldview because it's all about what you want, what matters to you, what do you want to get out of life? And I guess there's a certain degree which this is an appropriate thing to ask, but when we make it the be all and end all, we really miss the point. Right. It sort of seems like uh, the existentialists, they're asking all the right questions. It's just they're they're not necessarily coming up with the right answers. And it leaves us with that place where you end up, again, you take the thing that's supposed to define you, your baptism, your, the most important thing, and you say, all right, that's that's good and that's true, but also I need to not look at that when I think about everything else that matters. And you end up in a really confused place or sort of a, a Sunday morning baptism identity that that's really only good for that, you know, hour, hour 10 minutes that that church lasts to hour 15 if the pastor preached way too long and you just have to have, have somebody to be mad at. Um, but but then when you go back out into the world, you're, you're right, you set that aside and, and it stops being, you know, what has God made me to be? And it, it, be, it becomes, what do I want? What makes me happy? Um, and, and what do you do when it doesn't anymore? Because like, if you're sledging away in the factory all day, if anxiety is high, if, if, if you can't for the life, you find a way to be happy, what do you have to say other than none of it matters? Right. And that's unfortunately where a lot of people go with this is that, you know, this stuff sucks and none of it matters and I give up. And I think that's why we see so much medication, so much unhappiness. You know, there's a lot of the social debates. I mean, if we back back away from the particulars, a lot of the social debates that we have now are just a lot of people being really unhappy and trying to find a way to make themselves feel more happy, more satisfied with life. And that's another thing, too. I really don't like talking about happiness, you know, because by <laughs> definition, being happy is kind of an elevated emotional state, which is literally impossible to maintain. I think we should talk about contentedness, like being OK with the hmm. way things are. That's a lot more realistic and a lot more achievable, you know. Um, but anyways, it, it, this this existentialist stuff really just drives me bananas because I see it. My kids already, my oldest is 10. They're bringing it home from school. You know, dad, uh, that's your perspective, they'll tell me. And I say, well, no, hold on a minute. Let's let's talk about what that means. And then pretty soon they've realized that what they've just told me is that they've given me a reason to not think about stuff without actually thinking about stuff. And that's really what this defaults to, Right. It assumes that there's no shared reality, really. It's all just what I have on myself. The next evolution of this is postmodernism, where there's just nothing in common between any two individuals. And that's a really frightening place to be in. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, with the emphasis on the will and my personal choices and my freedom, you know, Luther tells us in the catechism and in other places that this is false freedom, right? Now, on the freedom of the Christian, right? The bondage of the will. This is not freedom. Right. Because when you're free to choose whatever you want to do, and I mean, you, you know, you as you, right, you're a sinner. And what are you going to choose? Where's your will going to assert itself by, by validating your yeah, dumb stuff, your, your sinful flesh, as it were. Right. right. That's what you're going to pick. And it typically doesn't work very well. Right. And, and um, you know, so if I was to like talk about identity with a room full of kids, you know, I'd first talk about the world that you're born into, the places that you belong. I mean, I guess you can really see the proof in the pudding with where this goes off the rails, because one of the big hallmarks of existentialism is a complete eradication of societal norms and values, because they can might, might hold me back. And then I can't be authentic, which authentic just means doing whatever sinful urge tickles you, tickles you that day. That, that's authenticity. Well, that doesn't usually work out for people. You know, if I want to enslave myself to a sixth commandment thing or a fourth commandment thing or a fifth commandment thing or whichever commandment I want to break that, that day, it doesn't make me happy or contented. It doesn't provide any value or meaning in my life. In fact, it just tends to make me cantankerous because other people don't care much as much about the sin that I like as, as I do. And so I get really upset with people when they tell me, hey, maybe maybe this isn't a positive life choice. 
well, who are you to judge? You know, and it just gets it gets me upset. And I, I don't think this is the way forward. I don't think this is helpful. And I, I think the proof's in the pudding. Look at all of the social metrics in our society. Everything out there says we're a very miserable people, a very miserable populace. And uh, I think part of the reason that we are is because we've decided instead of looking to Christ, we'd rather look to ourselves and, and follow this sort of existentialist model to pursue meaning. So you're, you're painting a picture, not just of a sort of like the idea of, of the world that is is your own perspective or, or, or your own opinion or your own truth or, or, or what's true for you, all the, the postmodern stuff. It, it doesn't just sort of let you, you know, find an excuse to do dumb stuff, but it, it's the result of it that, that nobody ever wants to look at it. If, if your identity is only ever your identity, that's a really lonely place to be. Like there, there's no, of course you feel cut off because there's, there's nobody you can actually connect with anymore if everything is just about your perspective. Right. Um, and this is one of the things that I think is, is one of the places that really where we see this kind of thinking fall apart is there's absolutely no community consciousness at all. It is rapidly, rapidly individualistic. And you look at all the people, you know, kind of our millennial generation and those coming up after us, there's not really community mindedness. You know, people don't serve on boards. They don't volunteer to run for public office. You know, and when they do, it's really because it's an extension of their own ego and not because they have any sort of civic mindedness. You know, they're not there to serve people. Um, and I mean, of course, there's exceptions. I don't want to, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, not in universal statements, right? Yeah. But you see all this stuff and then you hear all the people complain about how they don't have friends. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere. They don't belong anywhere. And so what's the solution? The solution is not to deal with the people God put around me in my town, in my neighborhood, whatever. I deal with the people I want to deal with through the internet who happen to share whatever thing I've chosen to define myself by. And you have this really artificial community of people that are all trying to reinforce each other on something very arbitrary rather than a genuine community of flesh and blood people with actual differences that make life interesting and worthwhile and actually provide something worth talking about other than just reaffirming each other all the time. Um, instead of dealing with those people, I deal with fake people that I only know through the internet, right? Because let's be honest, who's ever perfectly honest on the internet? Nobody. <laughs> that's, right. that's one of the things about the internet is I get to hide myself. Mm -hmm. And so we've moved away from real communities to virtual communities that are all built on my likes and my preferences. And that just reinforces my own selfishness and my narcissism, my, my fixation on me, you know? So we've got this, this issue then where we actually still have to answer the question, who am I uh, in a way that that isn't just rooted like right in what do I want? Because the, the things that that make me happy in this moment, they're going to, you said, not just lean us towards sin, but but lean us away from community, lean us feeling more cut off, less satisfied and, and always unsure because what makes me happy, like go to what made me happy 10 years ago. And once you sort of cut out the vague, this is a sixth commandment thing still, or, or this is a seventh commandment thing still, um, you, you still have, the, your hobbies have changed. And so your whole identity is always shifting even your online communities have to shift every few years because well you're going to sin against each other and if there's no absolution there's nothing to bind the community it'll dissolve what what do you do to actually answer it in, in the positive frame that lets you take it out into the world and, and and find some real community then well so if i was to answer this question right uh, i guess I've, i'm kind of dancing around the point here because that's yeah. what you do when you have a degree in philosophy you talk around <laughs> the circles um <clears throat> but uh you know if i was to answer this point directly i would say first of all we start with our christian identity that is our primary identity Right. And then we start asking the questions that existentialists ask, which are not bad questions. Like, what is my purpose here? What should I be doing with my life? Who should I be in a relationship with? What's it mean to be involved in this community? These are great questions. Yeah. But we start with, I am a Christian. And then we mm -hmm. fill in the details. We don't go to those things first. We go to them second. So let's go to the um, employment one. That's always a big thing for people as they're coming out of high school, going into college. What do I want to do for my gainful employment? What do I want my career to be? That's a big question. It's a good question. You should ask that question. Yeah. So let's think about this as a Christian. Now, if I think about this as an existentialist, how do I reason about this? I go, okay, 
Well, I want to make fat stacks because, you know, I like having money to indulge my appetites or whatever. And right. so I got to find something that makes me a lot of money. And that's usually the way people start out. Right. And then they get into school and they're studying to be something and they find out they hate it because it doesn't matter how much you get paid. If you hate it, it's not worth going to work. Right? You're describing my freshman year of college. I just want you to know this. <laughs> this is a personal testimony on my part as well. This was this was how college went for me my first couple of years. I bounced around between like four or five different majors. You know, I started out, I started out, by the way, I started out, I wanted to be a rocket scientist. Computer science. Um, yeah, rocket scientist. I wanted to work for NASA. And then I found out math gets really hard when all the numbers go away and it's all just symbols and stuff. Abstract math didn't do it for me. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, you know, we don't start with my wants and desires. First, we start with what it is to be a Christian. So the questions we ask ourselves is, first of all, okay, how does whatever, so you start, first of all, you think, well, what do I like doing, right? That, that's something worth considering. Okay, what do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? You think about that, you'll probably come up with several things, because most of us aren't so narrow that we actually find there are several things we like to do, right? The second thing that you ask is, is this objectively sinful? Right. Right. So you can't be a prostitute or a drug dealer. I'm sorry, that's that's not good. That's not God-pleasing. Don't do that, right? right? The third thing that you should ask yourself, then, can this let me serve my neighbor? And the answer to that is if you have a job, you're serving your neighbor, right? Um, and it doesn't matter how unworldly appealing that job is, whether, you know, even plunging toilets. My job all through college, I cleaned sewer backups. I used to rip moldy sheetrock out of houses. Not a really thankful job. Like a lot of people took me for granted. It paid the bills. And, you know, I actually got to make some difference in the world. It was, it was fine for the time. And I moved on to become a pastor, right? Um, so, you know, whatever it is, you're serving your neighbor, which is usually should be a given, but you need to think about that because a lot of people get really dissatisfied with what they do because either can't see how it serves their neighbor or they, you know, forget it. Right. Right. And then the last thing is, does it pay my bills? Because there's things that you will enjoy doing that don't make money, you know? And, and so when it comes to a career, it's got to be, these four questions have to get answered. And all of them start with the foundation of I'm a Christian, right? That's the framework we use to answer these questions. So like, let's say you want to be a doctor. Does that Matt, does that give a good answer to these four questions? Sure. Um, or a farmer or, or a lawyer or a waitress or a waiter or a steward or a stewardess or whatever. I mean, there's a thousand different things you could do and you're actually free in Christ. This is where genuine freedom comes. Yeah. You're actually free in Christ to pursue this, that, or the other thing. God doesn't want you to, he doesn't narrow you into this box where he has this, like, you know, you have to read the Pray for a sign. Yeah. 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 You just, you just do something. If you can say these four questions, answer them in the right way, you're doing what God wants you to do. And right, there's, a, there's the a freedom there too, because now you're not sort of wrapped up in the, I'm bound to this one thing I got a sign from God. In. And you're, you're also able to go into any of these things with the utter confidence that as a baptized Christian, you're not only going holy because God makes you that way every single day, but but you're you're going in a godly way where, where you actually get to, to live the kind of life that, that a Christian would live. And, and that's not bound to like three different jobs that, that all have something to do with church work, but but rather they're all they're all given the, the, the freedom to, to actually go out and serve your neighbor and, and, and pursue those things that you are both good at and able to help people with it. And, and right. God be praised for it. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's, that's really the thing. Cause the other thing too, is that when that job falls apart, cause it yeah. will someday, you're either going to retire or you're going to get injured, or you're just going to lose interest in it and want to do something else. <laughs> when you move on, then your identity doesn't actually change. Right. right. Cause there's so many people in the world that get so wrapped up in their career that I'm going to be a doctor becomes who they are. I'm going to be a farmer. That's who they are. Well, at some point you're not going to do that anymore. Even if it's 50 years down the road, at some point, you're not going to do that anymore. And, you know, for us Christians, that shouldn't be a problem because we're still a Christian. We're still in Christ. Similarly, you know, um, if your identity becomes your family, right? 
Um, my wife and my children, I love them to death, but you know, something terrible could happen and I might lose them. They might lose me, but they don't stop being who they are in Christ because one or the other is not, not around anymore. And I think that's important to remember as well. And so all of these things that we try to make our identity aren't static. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't last, they don't endure and um, they move and they shape, they change and they flow through life and that's okay. And so that's why some of these questions of the existential slask are, are worth asking. But where we always go back to is that foundation we have in Christ. And everything that is built on that is built in faith. It's built out of the confidence that we know where we stand in an ultimate sense before God. And that actually gives us the confidence to go into this world and try stuff and to, you know, do things and take risks to serve our neighbor. Maybe be entrepreneurial. Maybe, you know, give be sacrificial with your family, whatever it is. Because we don't have to worry about this thing falling apart and me losing who I am. Right. And if you're going to make everything all or nothing, uh, then you sooner or later have to realize that it has to be nothing because it can't be all. Like, like you said, anything that we build in this world will eventually come crumbling down. That that even the, the, the family that we have in this world can be taken from us for a little while until glory because this, that they're the one people the, the one thing you actually get to take out of this world. But it, it, it doesn't need to be all or nothing if it's already full in Christ. Then you get to sort of say, it's not that these things are bad things because they can break. They're good things. I just don't need to depend on them for meaning, for identity, for salvation. Right. You know, good things are good, but they're not Christ and therefore shouldn't be treated like they're eternal. And so it. treat them like they're good, but don't treat them like they're your savior. That actually answers the question. So you said you're going to talk circles around it, but like, who am I as a Christian that actually lets me go out and, and well, be baptized as I do all those things. It's not an either or it, right. it actually is just in my vocation. I am baptized. And yeah. And, and the outwardly, hope. it's going to look very similar, right? Whether you're mm -hmm. Christian or not a Christian, you're going to have a yeah. job, you're going to have a family, you're going to have all these things other people have too, but the motivation, the disposition, the confidence and security you bring to it are going to be vastly different because your whole conception of self is vastly different because it actually doesn't mm -hmm. start with you. It starts with Christ for you. There's a lot of comfort in this. Pastor Bradmeyer, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Hey, we'll see you next time.